This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. News Talk 850 WFTL presents Joyce Kaufman, No Restraint. Here's Joyce Kaufman. I think it's kind of important to touch on politicians who actually keep their promises and, of course, to also talk about doctors who actually uphold the wonderful Hippocratic Oath that we all believe should be the very foundation of practicing medicine in this country. So I want to talk about both Governor Glenn Youngkin, and I want to talk about Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. So here we go. And please remember to bookmark my No Restraint podcast and to share it with a friend. So it seems that Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin is one of those politicians who actually keeps his promises because this weekend he granted an absolute pardon to the father who attended a school board meeting after the superintendent lied about his daughter's rape by a skirt-wearing boy. The pardon says that in June of 2021, Scott Smith exercised his constitutional right to attend a public meeting of the Loudoun County School Board to observe the proceedings, during which time a community member threatened to spread false and malicious information about his business with the intent to damage his reputation. So there was a verbal confrontation, and Scott Thomas Smith was charged with obstruction of justice and disorderly conduct, and he was quickly convicted even though an appeals court later disqualified the prosecutor due to concerns about the integrity of the prosecution, and that's what the pardon states. Whereas Scott Thomas Smith has been publicly and falsely accused of, quote, domestic terrorism and, quote, hate crimes, end quote, for attempting to advocate for his daughter, who was a victim of sexual assault, I have decided it is just and appropriate to grant this absolute pardon that reflects Scott Thomas Smith's factual innocence is what Governor Yunkin concluded. Smith's story galvanized parents who were concerned that schools had sacrificed student safety and academic rigor for this crazy ideology. Yunkin's pledge to be a voice for those parents is what helped him to get into office just a month after the Daily Wire revealed Scott Smith's story. Democrat prosecutor Budo Bibaraj bucked her typical soft-on-crime stances and then personally argued to put Smith in jail for misdemeanor disorderly conduct. Smith was denied a jury because it was a misdemeanor in general district court, and a judge quickly convicted him. He appealed the ruling and would have been entitled to a jury in appeals court. But the legal saga has dragged on for years, which has taken a financial and an emotional toll on Smith, 
who says he's grateful that Youngkin allowed him to move on with his life. I'm thankful that the Youngkin administration gave me an off-ramp to these charges that never should have happened. It's kind of bittersweet, he said, because I really looked forward to winning this in court. But unfortunately, our justice system is so screwed up right now that I didn't feel that I could potentially get a fair shot in court. And that's what should scare every American, is that he had to take it because he couldn't trust our justice system. And as his legal saga dragged on, the same system that prosecuted him acquitted Loudoun County Public Schools spokesman Wade Byard for perjury charges. The day Smith's daughter was raped, Byard wrote an email to parents that falsely blamed Smith for police presence and falsely said that no students were in danger, even as the rapist remained on the loose. The rapist was eventually convicted in juvenile court, but due to a mistake by, again, Judge Bibarage, will not be placed on the sex offender's registry. Smith said that on the night of the June 2021 school board meeting, where school board members were discussing passing a policy to allow transgender students to use the restrooms of their choice, his daughter had intended to say through a megaphone how just a few weeks before she had been raped in a school bathroom by a boy wearing a skirt. That's why we were attacked was to stop my daughter from speaking, Scott said, referring to Jackie Schwarm, a radical leftist who had just spoken to Smith's daughter, then sought out Smith and threatened to use social media to ruin his business. A police officer grabbed Smith from behind and a struggle ensued. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. An appeals court said that the prosecutor may have been biased. What may have been definitely was, but that the fact that he cursed at Schwarm was enough to retry him. Smith said that even if his appeal would have prevailed, radical prosecutors have already punished him by putting him through years-long process. The damage has already been done, Smith said. This process has been absolutely brutal because it took away some of my family treasure that could have gone to my daughter's situation. The media plastered around the world a picture of Smith being dragged away by police, and they used him as a symbol of how angry conservative parents were supposedly disrupting school board meetings out of bigotry and ignorance. 
The National School Boards Association likened him to a domestic terrorist in a letter that the Biden administration used to mobilize anti-terrorism forces against parents. Only the Daily Wire bothered to even ask Smith whether he had a good reason to be mad at the school board. It turned out that not only had his daughter been raped and the superintendent lied about it, but the school system kept the rapist in school where he sexually assaulted a second girl. They villainized me and my family from the minute my daughter reported that she was sexually assaulted pretty much until now. Bibaraj wanted to make an example out of me to scare people from speaking out. And quite frankly, it worked, noting that far fewer parents have turned out to school board meetings and very few spoken out since his arrest. He said that his next legal step will be to sue the prosecutor for misconduct and possibly the National School Boards Association. And if I were him, I'd add the Biden administration and the Department of Justice to those suits. The pardon from Youngkin, who enjoys very high favorability ratings in what was previously considered a very blue state, continues a fulfillment of his campaign promise to focus on parental rights in education. On Tuesday, he's going to hold a Parents Matter conversation in Loudoun at Cornerstone Chapel, a church that was placed on an enemies list by a group of liberal activists called the Loudoun Love Warriors. The church's pastor said it's ironic that those who espouse tolerance the most are actually some of the most intolerant people towards those of us with a different view and different values. A member of the Love Warriors was arrested on felony charges this month. Bibaraj has not responded to questions about whether she intends to drop charges, prosecute, or recuse herself. When we've gotten to a stage where we are right now, where people cannot trust the justice system to give them a chance at justice, things are getting worse than we ever suspected. And that brings me to a story which has been very interesting to me since its inception. And that is a story about what is a doctor's responsibility to just tell the truth publicly on social media and eventually in front of congressional committees, because we sure have made it hard for decent doctors to tell the truth. They can get lambasted by their communities. They can get in all kinds of trouble with medical boards and universities where they work. Jay Bhattacharya, who's not just an MD, but a PhD, is a professor of health policy at Stanford University School of Medicine, where he researches epidemiology and health economics. He's a founding fellow of the Academy for Science and Freedom, which is a Hillsdale College initiative. He also podcasts at the Illusion of Consensus site, and you can follow him on X, formerly Twitter, at Dr. J. Bhattacharya. And by the way, in full disclosure, my daughter and son-in-law both went to Stanford Medical School, and they both know Dr. Bhattacharya. He said when he was four years old, his mother took her first flight and her first trip out of her native India into the United States with Dr. J and his younger brother in tow. They were going to meet her, his father, who was an electrical engineer and a rocket scientist by training, who had won the U.S. visa lottery in 1970. He had moved to New York a year earlier. By the time we arrived, he said, 
we was working at McDonald's because engineering jobs had dried up during a recession. Think about that. A man who's a rocket scientist and electrical engineer ends up working at McDonald's because there were no engineering jobs. And yet we continue to flood this country with illegal immigrants when legal immigrants who would actually add to our society are put into positions of having to work at McDonald's. Both of my parents, Dr. J said, are children of the violent partition of India and East Pakistan, which is called now Bangladesh, and they had grown up in poverty. My mother grew up in a Calcutta slum. They immigrated to this country because they believed in the American dream. That belief led to the success that his father ultimately found as an engineer and his mother found running a family daycare business. Their family had indeed won the lottery, but coming to America meant something more profound than just financial opportunity. He said he remembers in 1975 when a high court found that then Prime Minister of India, Indira Gandhi, had interfered unlawfully in an election. That ruling disqualified her from holding office. In response, she declared a state of emergency, suspended democracy, censored the opposition press and the government critics, and threw her political opponents in jail. He said he remembers the shock of these events and our family's collective relief that we were in the United States, where it was unimaginable that such things could happen. So when I was 19, I became an American citizen, said Dr. J. It was one of the happiest days of my young life. The immigration officer gave me a civics test, including a question about the First Amendment. It was an easy test because I knew it in my heart. The American civic religion has the right to free speech as the core of its liturgy. I never imagined that there would come a time when an American government would think of violating this right or that Dr. J said I would be the target. Unfortunately, during the pandemic, the American government violated my free speech rights and those of my scientist colleagues just for questioning the federal government's pandemic policies. My parents, he said, taught me that people could criticize the government, even over matters of life and death, without worry that the government would censor or suppress us. But over the past three years, Dr. J says, I have been robbed of that conviction. American government officials working in concert with big tech companies have attacked and suppressed my speech and that of my colleagues for criticizing official pandemic policies, criticism that has proven prescient. On Friday, at long last, the Fifth Circuit Court ruled that we were not imagining it, that the Biden administration did indeed strong arm social media companies into doing its bidding. The court found that the Biden White House, the CDC, the U.S. Surgeon General's Office, and the FBI engaged in a years-long pressure campaign on social media outlets designed to ensure that the censorship aligned with the government's preferred viewpoints. The judges described a pattern of government officials making threats of fundamental reforms like regulatory changes and increased enforcement actions if we did not comply. The implication was clear. To paraphrase Al Capone, nice company you have there. It'd be a shame if something were to happen to it. It worked. According to the judges, the officials' campaign succeeded. The platforms, in capitulation to state-sponsored pressure, 
changed their moderation policies. In exposing this behavior and in declaring it a likely violation of the First Amendment, the ruling is not just a victory for Dr. J and his fellow scientists, but for every single American. You need to take this seriously. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Seriously. The trouble began in October of 2020 when his colleague, Dr. Martin Kuldorf, a professor of medicine at Harvard University, and Dr. Sunitra Gupta, an epidemiologist at the University of Oxford, published the Great Barrington Declaration. The declaration called for an end to economic lockdowns, school shutdowns, and similar restrictive policies on the grounds that they disproportionately harm the young and economically disadvantaged while conferring limited benefits to society as a whole. The declaration endorsed a focused protection approach that called for strong measures to protect high-risk populations while allowing lower-risk individuals to return to normal life with reasonable precautions. Tens of thousands of doctors and public health scientists signed our statement. With hindsight, it is clear that this strategy was the right one. Sweden, which in large part eschewed lockdowns, and after early problems, embraced focused protection of older populations, had among the lowest age-adjusted all-cause excess deaths than nearly every other country in Europe and suffered none of the learning loss for its elementary school children. Similarly, Florida has seen lower cumulative age-adjusted all-cause excess deaths than lockdown-obsessed California since the start of the pandemic. But at the time, The proposal was viewed by high government officials like Dr. Anthony Fauci and some in the Trump White House, including Deborah Burks, then White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator, as a kind of heresy. Federal officials immediately targeted the Great Barrington Declaration for suppression because it contradicted the government's preferred response to COVID. Four days after the declaration's publication, then-director of the National Institutes of Health, Dr. Francis Collins, emailed Fauci to organize a, quote, devastating takedown, end quote, of it. Almost immediately, social media companies like Google and YouTube, Reddit and Facebook censored mentions of the declaration. And as the Free Press revealed in its Twitter files reporting, in 2021, Twitter blacklisted Dr. J for posting a link to the Great Barrington Declaration. YouTube censored a video of a public policy roundtable of Dr. J with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for the crime of telling him that the scientific evidence for masking children is weak. Dr. J's been a professor researching health policy and infectious disease epidemiology at a world-class university for decades. I am not a political person, he said. I am not registered with either party. In part, that is because I want to preserve my total independence as a scientist. 
I have always viewed my job, he said, as telling people honestly about the data issues, regardless of whether Democrats or Republicans like the message. Yet at the height of the pandemic, I found myself smeared for my supposed political views and my views about COVID policy and epidemiology were removed from the public square on all manner of social networks. I could not believe that this was happening in the country I so loved, Dr. J said. He then went on, in August of 2022, my colleagues and I finally had a chance to fight back. The Missouri and Louisiana attorneys general asked me to join as a plaintiff in their case, he said, represented by the new Civil Liberties Alliance against the Biden administration. The aim of the suit was to end the government's role in this kind of censorship and to restore the free speech rights of all Americans in the digital town square. Lawyers in the Missouri versus Biden case deposed representatives under oath from many federal agencies involved in the censorship efforts, including Dr. Anthony Fauci. Broad discovery of email exchanges between the government and social media companies showed an administration willing to use its regulatory powers against social media companies that did not comply with censorship demands. The case revealed that a dozen federal agencies, including the CDC, the Office of the Surgeon General, and the Biden White House, pressured social media companies like Google, Facebook, and Twitter to censor and suppress even true speech contradicting federal pandemic priorities. For instance, in 2021, the White House threatened social media companies with damaging regulatory action unless it censored scientists who shared the demonstrable fact that the COVID vaccines do not prevent people from getting COVID. True or false, if speech interfered with the government's priorities, it had to go. On Independence Day this year, federal judge Terry Dowdy issued a preliminary injunction in the case, ordering the federal government to immediately stop coercing social media companies to censor protected free speech. In his decision, Justice Dowdy compared the administration's censorship infrastructure to an Orwellian ministry of truth. His ruling decried the vast federal censorship enterprise that dictated who and what social media companies could publish. The government appealed, convinced it should have the power to censor scientific speech. An administrative stay followed and lasted much of the summer. But on Friday, a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit unanimously restored a modified version of the preliminary injunction, telling the government to stop using social media companies to do its censorship dirty work. Defendants and their employees and agents shall take no actions, formal or informal, directly or indirectly, to coerce or significantly encourage social media companies to remove, delete, suppress, or reduce, including through altering their algorithms, posted social media content containing protected free speech. That includes, but is not limited to, compelling the platforms to act, such as by intimating that some form of punishment will follow a failure to comply with any request 
or supervising, directing, or otherwise meaningfully controlling the social media company's decision-making process. As Jay read the decision, he was overcome with emotion. He says, I think my father, who died when I was 20, would be proud that I played a role in this. I know my mother is. That is because the victory is not just for Dr. J, but for every American who felt the oppressive force of this censorship industrial complex during the pandemic. It is a vindication for parents who advocated for some semblance of normal life for their children, but found their Facebook groups suppressed. It is vindication for vaccine-injured patients who sought the company and counsel of fellow patients online, but found themselves gaslit by social media companies and the government into thinking their personal experience of harm was all in their heads. The decision provides some solace for scientists who had deep reservations about lockdowns, but censored themselves for fear of the reputational damage that came with being falsely labeled misinformers. They were not wrong in thinking science wasn't working right. Science simply cannot function without free speech. The decision isn't perfect. Some entities at the heart of the government's censorship enterprise can still organize to suppress speech. For instance, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, within the Department of Homeland Security can still work with academics to develop a hit list for government censorship. And the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID, Fauci's old organization, can still coordinate devastating takedowns of outside scientists critical of government policy. But the headline's a good one. The federal government can no longer threaten social media companies with destruction if they don't censor on behalf of the government. The Biden administration, which has proven itself to be an enemy of free speech, is surely going to appeal the decision to the Supreme Court. But of course, we're all hopeful that they'll win there, just as they have at every venue in this litigation. Dr. J is grateful for the resilience of the U.S. Constitution, which has withstood this challenge. But he can never go back to the uncomplicated faith and naive confidence he once had in America when he was young. You see, our government is not immune to authoritarian impulse. He said he learned the hard way that it is only we the people who must hold an overreaching government accountable for violating our most sacred rights. Without our vigilance, we will lose them. And I know that I am seeing this more clearly each and every day. If you thought they were going to stop at reinstituting mask mandates, then you have failed to pay attention to what's actually going on all over the country regarding our Second Amendment rights. Not only have gun shops been raided and information about gun owners basically stolen by the government, but we have also seen an actual oath-taking governor in New Mexico, Grisham, make it a policy in the state of New Mexico that their citizens may not carry guns in areas of New Mexico which are crime-ridden. On the face of it, that doesn't even make any sense. But more importantly, 
It is a violation of our Second Amendment rights. Not only that, but there have been precedent of cases, even in D.C., where our rights are absolute. And yet Governor Grisham had the audacity at a press conference to say, when asked if she thought she was violating her oath to uphold the Constitution, that there is no absolutism in the Constitution. She says free speech can be hampered, and we saw that quite clearly with Dr. J. Bhattacharya and with others who dared to oppose the government line on what to do during a pandemic. But we're seeing it now in terms of gun ownership. The Second Amendment is second for a reason, because without it, that First Amendment, which protects our freedom to speak, our freedom to worship, our freedom to oppress that tells the truth, our freedom to petition our government for redress of our grievances, all of our rights, including those of a fair trial, have been put on suspended animation. You could see that quite clearly in how they're treating former President Donald Trump, and you could certainly see it in this case that I spoke about earlier in this podcast about Dr. J. Bhattacharya and the Barrington Declaration. So I don't know about the rest of you, but I am proudly wearing my button, which says, we must refuse to comply. You must refuse to comply. The government has set about to distribute information that is truly false and calls information that is true false. We have to stand up and we have to make sure that we don't let down at all. This is going to be a real test of the American spirit. What kind of spirit do you have in you? Believe me, I have the same fighting spirit as Donald Trump, and I will not put down my sword and shield. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.